Hello, I'm Rachel Babin from the Oncology Network. Welcome to the Oncology Podcast's Experts on Point series. Have you wondered what it's like to practice radiation oncology in Botswana? How can technology and smartphones be used to optimize cancer care? In today's episode, I'm speaking with Serbi Grover, Associate Professor of Radiation Oncology at the University of Pennsylvania and Adjunct Senior Lecturer at the University of Botswana. We are joined by Givi Daliwal, Founder and CEO of OneBCG, the company behind their OP Care app. Serbi and Givi collaborated on a smartphone app to optimize the care of gynecological patients and remove common barriers to treatment success in Gaborone, the capital of Botswana. This is the second special episode of Experts on Point focused on cancer care in Botswana. In the first episode, Hans Prennan spoke to Peter Wulstek about his experiences practicing medical oncology. And just a reminder that to access all of our free podcasts, including our fantastic series on diagnostics called Beyond the Slide, registered healthcare professionals are invited to join the Oncology Network. Head over to oncologynetwork.com.au to find out more. It's free and it only takes a moment. I hope you enjoy listening. This is Rachel Babin and this is the Oncology Podcast. Welcome, Serbi. Hi, Givi. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi. Hi, Rachel. I always like to start with a personal question, if I may. What inspired your interest in cancer care in developing countries, Serbi? So I grew up in India and I always knew that I wanted to have some component of my career abroad. And when I decided to go in radiation oncology, you know, I had some great mentors that really encouraged that path. And during my research year, while I was doing a master's in global health, I got connected with the NCI Center for Global Health. And then that's where it all started. And a path was carved out for me to be based in Africa. And why Botswana in particular? You know, so I was quite open, actually. And initially, I was thinking I would end up working in India. But the university where I was doing my training at the University of Pennsylvania and most likely was going to join on faculty, they already had a program for a decade and a half prior to do HIV AIDS care in, in internal medicine as well as pediatrics. NCI, they had a program in cervical cancer screening. So it sort of made a lot of sense to, NCI was interested in sort of linking the screening piece with the next phase with treatment. And the University of Pennsylvania wanted to work with further with the Ministry of Health and the University of Botswana to sort of build further capacity in oncology. And Givi, you've come to this project with more of an entrepreneurial background rather than a medical one. Was there a personal motivation for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, we've been doing digital transformation for so long. And, you know, coming to Botswana and seeing the challenges around systems fragmented, and there's a lot of disconnect between patients and clinics and things like that. So, overheard a lot of that conversation for a few years before I was like, okay, there is a path here that, you know, that we can tackle and bring the patients and the doctors together in a really efficient way. Like we do in many other commercial settings, there's a, there's a way to do that here in the African low to middle income country setting as well. Thank you. And I believe you did some studying in Sydney. Is that correct? I grew up in Sydney. We've spent time there. I'm not sure you probably imagined that you'd end up in Botswana. How wonderful. No, we were, came here for a year and now, what is it, seven years later. 
<laughs> Lovely. I love stories like that. So, Serbi, if you can set the scene for me, can you tell us a little bit about cancer care in Gaborone in general, the challenges you commonly face, problems around HIV? Yeah. So, Botswana has one of the highest prevalence of HIV in the world, right? So, with that comes a heavy burden of cancers that are associated with HIV, but also with the HIV treatment in place, heavy burden of cancers in general, because patients are living longer. And it's a single-payer system, right? So the government, they've done a, actually a really remarkable job that early on when the diamonds were discovered, they really took a lot of the wealth and invested that in education and health. So there's a single-payer system. However, the health system has kept up really well with HIV. And, you know, most of our patients have been diagnosed with HIV in timely fashion and get great care for their HIV. There's, you know, rarely any patients dying of AIDS any longer, but hasn't really kept up in a lot of non-communicable diseases, as we call them, and cancer is one of them. So because of that, there's a huge burden. We're seeing a lot more cancer patients, yet the systems are just not ready to tackle them. You know, there's delays in all aspects of care, starting when the pathology is processed and how the patient goes through the system to access care, inventory for chemotherapy, and then access to radiotherapy, having appropriate EMRs that record what's going on with the patient and their treatment. You know, again, patient navigation to make sure that the patient actually gets to the next appointment and receive the treatment they're supposed to, and then get appropriate follow-up care. So there's a lot of systems issues, I would say, that are really keeping the outcomes back and make it challenging to deliver, you know, evidence-based quality care that's standard. Frustrating, I'm sure. And frustrating. That is correct. (laughs) So tell me about the app. Where did the idea come from? and, And what did you hope to achieve with it in terms of trying to mitigate some of those frustrations? So the idea behind the app was I was constantly frustrated that we would have patients who would have appointments, but they were not able to come for whatever reason, but there's actually no system that tracks how many patients were supposed to come in, how many patients did not come in that we need to get hold of, or if a patient was supposed to you know, come for radiotherapy and um, have treatment and they missed two weeks of treatment, it would be actually hard to know who those patients are. And then the other aspect was that their medical records, short of the very basic stuff like their age and HIV status, et cetera, that's on electronic medical record system that's shared across the hospitals. Short of that, everything else is on paper, right? So patients will go around and often patients might lose their papers while they're on the bus on their way to the hospital or, you know, the the hope lodge they're staying at while they're waiting for their appointment. And if those papers are gone, we actually... We have no system where we've recorded what treatment the patients already received. So imagine that for cancer treatment. We would lose records of like if patient has received three or five out of the total six cycles of chemotherapy they're supposed to get. And that to me was incredibly frustrating. And it's also really dangerous. And, you know, there's no simple solution for it. And this is what I kept struggling with. And then, you know, talk to Gibby about this over several conversations and I'll let him speak about his take on it. He gave that a thought and it was, it was pretty quick. And he was like, it just makes sense to work on a solution and, and a digital solution would be the way to go. There's, so maybe Gibby, you can elaborate on that. So over a period of time, we, you know, I was hearing the same problems come up again and again. And one particular case, 
was this young lady in her early 30s. And she came to clinic, apparently very, very late stage cancer. And she had a one and a half year old child. And this was a terrible story because she apparently was treated, but then she disappeared for a year or two, had a baby, then eventually got to a really bad point and came back. And it was a super sad story because she was going to die. And if the treatment cycle had continued, you know, she would have survived for five, six, eight, ten years. You know, you don't know. And I felt that was a, a really compelling reason, you know, that baby with one and a half years versus having a mother for four, five, six years, it makes a huge difference to that baby's life. So we're like, this needs to be solved with a, a, a solution that's, you know, modern and really bridges a gap between the patients and the doctors. So that's where we sort of started to tackle this problem. And we initially started off uh, thinking about it from the perspective that let's simply do reminders. So when the patients are going to come in, where they need to go, if there's a cancellation of the clinic because the radiation machine is broken or something else is happening, then at least they're informed because some of these patients have enough money to catch one-way bus to the hospital. And, you know, often they come from very far away places. So, you know, connecting them, making sure they're kept in the loop, there's no internet out uh, where these folks live at times. So we had to resort back to SMSs and, and making sure we are able to deliver the messages was important component of this challenge that we had to meet. Thank you. The story about the lady that you shared there is a, is a great illumination of the the human impact of these, you know, what feels like quite small uh, system errors. You know, you have access to treatment and how frustrating it must be that it's just such a simple thing. It's just lack of communication that causes these huge life-changing, life-altering problems. So how did the medical team adapt to using the system? Did they like using the smartphone, loading up the appointments? Yeah, so look, we actually worked with them from the very beginning. So Gibby and his team were very open and very accommodating and understood that we have to get a lot of feedback from the team for, to make sure that's actually really useful for them and, and makes sense in their context and their clinic. So we actually had a lot of back and forth with the clinic team, with the nurses, which really empowered them that this is something that's uh, a product that they are helping develop and, and, and will be using. So that was one. So we had buy-in from the beginning. And then second was, we actually did a lot of pilot testing at various stages to make sure that it's acceptable and feasible for the patients, as well as for the care providers, the nurses, the research assistants, all of them. And that was really helpful because it was it actually really helped us understand how they felt about the app. Mostly everybody, I think it was like over 90% of all users including patients felt like it was really useful. You know, it kept a, a really nice list for the care providers to be able to see a list of patients who are supposed to be going, coming and made their task easy because at the end of the day, if the patient didn't show up, they knew the patients they needed to reach out. It actually really helped them keep all the patient's information in one place as opposed to putting it in different registers and different charts. And then third, like they actually had a, a source of their medical records 
right, of the important one, the significant ones for the cancer care. Because often a patient will show up with no charts and, you know, would say I'm having problem A, B, and C. And the clinic nurses would have no idea what to do if they don't have their charts because they don't know any of the history or what treatments happened. But now they're like, let me pull up the app and pull this patient's name and see when we last saw this patient and what the what their problem was and what treatment they've gotten. So it's been really helpful from the patient's standpoint as well. You know, we were really worried that maybe some of the older patients would not be able to use it or they would not be interested in getting SMSs. But really, all of the patients, including the older ones, have been really receptive to it and actually are really grateful for these reminders because they've never had anyone telling them, reminding them when they're expected back. And the other nice feature is that, you know, they get an SMS in local language as well. So you can opt either in English or in the local language. So they really appreciate that aspect as well. And then the clinic team and the hospital administration really appreciated that we were able to use this during COVID because there was all these clinic uptime, downtime of when clinic is being shut down. Now it's only open to new patients. Now it's only open to follow-ups. We were able to use this to communicate with the patients to waste, again, time and resources for the patients. Like we were saying, most of the patients often only have money to just get there. And then they have to just scramble and figure out how to get back. And sometimes we will provide some resources. So it's, so it's not, we can't really take it for granted. And a lot of them are traveling for long, long distances. So it was really helpful during COVID as well to have access to this. And, and again, one BCG team worked closely with us in providing those messaging, you know, every time there were changes with shutdowns, et cetera, with COVID. That's that's really heartening to hear. It seems to me such a big responsibility to have put upon patients who have to travel so far, who may be, you know, having cognitive effects from their treatment that that they're responsible for carrying their their paperwork around. How wonderful that it must be quite a stress reliever for them as much as the medical staff to know that, you know, they just need to keep hold of their phone. They don't need to keep hold of pieces of paper that they're going to lose on a, you know, a long bus journey. So congratulations. I'm really pleased to hear it. How many women have been using the app? So since we started in 2017, 2018, we've had over 2,000 new users added. And I think we've sent out, I don't know, like 200,000 odd messages for these patients over the last five odd years. Yeah. Excellent. And give it you develop the app as a non-commercial project. Do you have plans to expand it in a more commercial setting or perhaps use it in other countries, other tumor streams? These problems don't just apply to gynae cancers. No. So what we did was we worked with the team, as Survey said, to make the app extremely simple to use. We basically never provided any training because the app is so intuitive and simple to use and allows tracking of when a patient comes in during the day as well. So otherwise, these patients would sit in a line and sometimes in the sun because they're just trying to maintain a line. So we make sure that the app was really simple to use and worked in the in the setting that it needed to work in. And what we then did was take all of that know-how and we've gone into certain commercial settings uh, in the US and other areas Excellent. And do you plan to use it in a broader sense in Botswana, in Gaborone, in your institution survey? Yeah, we would like to use it for other cancers as well. So breast cancer makes the most sense again, because again, there's a lot of care navigation issues because patient needs 
multimodality care, you know, with surgery and radiation and chemo. Mm -hmm. And again, the numbers are very high. So that's one area. We're also working with on a project with a lab, trying to get some of the cancer diagnosis to patients early. So we're also exploring how we could potentially use it there. And I know that, you know, some of the other clinical teams outside of cancer, like TB, they've been interested in using it and, and, and have used it a bit as well. Excellent. So Givi, do you think technology has an important role in improving cancer care in low and middle income countries? Absolutely. I mean, look, this particular app has shown you know, the outcomes for patients has improved. So I think Surbi's work has been, she's been documenting the improved outcomes. So there's evidence there. And, you know, like we earlier mentioned, it actually, the feedback coming from the patients is is very, very positive. So technology does have a role to, role to play, in particular in these settings, because of the limited resources available, be it on the clinical side, you know, the radiation machine can only be utilized for so many, you know, certain number of hours and particular times, et cetera, et cetera. So all those resources need to be optimally used. And therefore, to bring that whole picture together, you know, technology is, a, is, a, is definitely a great way to ensure that the, the patients have better outcomes. And for you, Serbi, as well, to have less time spent on administration problems and these frustrations, it must make your job a little bit more pleasant. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think having more solutions like this and, you know, hopefully more groups that think about technology solutions for resource limited settings. I mean, that's what we could hope for. We're never going to have, you know, in, at least in the short, medium term, we're just not going to have enough capacity to manage. I'm just going to stick to cancer, manage all the cancers here as we need to, right? So we need to be thinking about out-of-the-box solutions and, and technologies where we need to look at, you know, to think about feasible, scalable solutions. And this is only one avenue in terms of patient navigation and, and record keeping, right? I mean, there's so many other things I can think of in terms of, you know, just thinking about radiation, like auto contouring and planning, for instance, or for chemotherapy, just sort of a automated system for inventory management that's that is connected with the providers for chemotherapy. So there's no there's no stockouts. So we can actually make sure that the care keeps functioning as opposed to. So I think there's a lot of areas we need to leverage technology in, and this has been a good demonstration that it can be done, that we can work with the teams locally and come up with a solution that makes sense in our context. And, and we need to keep thinking along those lines to improve patient outcomes. That sounds like a very successful collaboration. So congratulations to you both. We will include links to the website for the app and to your research papers. Well, thank you both. It's been very enlightening. Thanks for coming on the Oncology Podcast Experts on Point podcast series. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Oncology Podcast's Experts on Point series, brought to you by the Oncology Network. To hear more podcast episodes, head over to our oncology portal at www.oncologynetwork.com.au. Registration is free for healthcare professionals and will give you access to exclusive content, such as our fantastic diagnostic series, Beyond the Slide. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please share it with your colleagues. This is Rachel Babin. And this is the Oncology Podcast.